Let's read it together. And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The word of the Lord, amen? At some point in 2006, I had come back from Boston, my wife and I and two of our four kids at that time, and uh, I had been pastoring in, in uh, the outskirts of Boston in this uh, kind of the south, southern suburbs between Boston and Providence, Rhode Island in a town called Norwood, and I was finishing up law school, and I graduated from law school, and uh, we left uh, to come home. We had thought a lot about church planting in, uh, in the New England area, and I just couldn't get Syracuse and home out of my head, growing up in Baldwinsville my whole life, and uh, done undergrad on the West Coast, but every time I went away, I just couldn't wait to get back. So in 2006, we were moving home, and I was getting prepared to study for the bar, or I'd already began studying for the bar exam, and at the same time, just praying, what would God do in Syracuse? I mean, we got to do something. I just had this sense in my heart. And uh, a friend of mine, Jordan Stinziano, and I had began to talk about what God would have us do, how we could pour our lives into this area. Found myself in 2006 after moving home in a car in southwest Florida. And I'll never forget a particular feeling and a thought that I had. We're talking about planting a church. And I'm riding in Jordan Stinziano's car in southwest Florida, looking out the window. We had all these plans. We had all these conversations. We had been talking, and, and uh, he had said, let's go down to Florida. You need to meet a friend of mine named Jim Murphy. And uh, I think God's calling him to come work with us in Syracuse. And so in typical Jordan fashion, he was driving me to meet Jim, and he was going to drop me off and leave because he had something else to do. <laughs> And he said, you need to talk to this gym guy. I already know him. You need to get to know him. And I remember just looking out the window on the way to some barbecue restaurant to meet Jim Murphy and thinking to myself, what in the world are we doing? Like, I got a lot to do here. <laughs> I got a family. I got to feed. I got to study for the bar. God's calling us to do something in the Syracuse area. Is this even going to work? I remember just having those thoughts. Years later, I was sitting at Missio Church, the first church we had planted in Syracuse, and a video came up of a young man who had come to Jesus. He was a bass player at our church at the time, and uh, so I had played, I played drums, and, and I had played with him several times, and hadn't really heard his story, and Missio Church had grown, and we were at the time at the Palace Theater in East, Eastwood, and uh, I really didn't have any kind of relationship with this young man, and I hadn't 
been a part of leading him to Christ, but I was sitting in the front row, and we had played a video of his story, and he began to share about how Jim Murphy had spoken to him, and he got to know him, and he came to church and was lost and had come to Christ, and Jesus had saved him, and his now wife, Nikki, had come to Christ, and her father came to Christ, and they had been praying for a baby and now had had a child, and here's this beautiful family who knows Jesus sitting in our church, and I remember thinking to myself, wow. If only for this person, what we did was worth it. What we did. We labored. God did. And I remember looking around at the faces there and being blown away at what God would do. Amen? 2013, we, we started well, before 2013 sitting at the Beeville Diner with Paul Daly, talking and dreaming about the northern suburbs. Couldn't convince Jordan to go to the suburbs. He wanted to go to the city. <laughs> so we planned Missio in the city, and I remember sitting at the Beeville Diner talking to Paul. Man, we got to go to Beeville. We got to go to the suburbs. God's moving in the northern suburbs. And, you know, God began to bring people together. And, and in 2013, 40 of us stood on the stage at Missio Church. And... The elders prayed, and we started Missio North, which is now Renovation Church. And uh, years later, I look around, and I'm just blown away at what God does. Amen? Never forget this long-haired, rock-and-roll t-shirt kid who kept showing up at my house really early for small group with a bag of Wendy's or McDonald's in his hand so he had time to eat before missional community and he would come in and Trish would welcome him in and he had hair down to here and he'd sit at our kitchen table and didn't really say much <laughs> and I hope in a couple of months we're going to be laying hands on him as a new elder I'm so sensitive these days sorry <laughs> can't wait to pray for Ethan Fordham as an elder of this church. Man, what's the matter with me? Yes. I'm wearing, I'm wearing lavender. I'm crying. Things are changing in my life. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> Not too long ago, Mike Maisie and I stood in an empty building 4,000 square foot, third floor building in the village of Baldensville. And uh, we just started looking around. It's full of garbage and has unbelievable potential. And I got that same feeling in my gut. What could God do in the village of Baldwinsville? And I got to tell you, my assessment of what could God do in the village of Baldwinsville and my feeling sitting in Jordan's car in southwest Florida looking out the window when I asked myself, what in the world are we doing, is a little different now because it's amazing what God does. 
Amen? It's amazing the way that God works. I love this passage in Matthew chapter 9 because Matthew is closing up, he's wrapping up a summary of Jesus' ministry here and his miracles. And he's closing a narrative of miracles that began in chapter 8, verse 1, as we've walked through that. And what do we see? We see Jesus is healing the, the ailments of the people around him. He's laying hands on them and he's healing them. What do we see? We see Jesus is preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. He's preaching, teaching, and healing. Why? Because as he looks on the people, as we just read, he has what? He has compassion. He's moved with compassion on the people as he looks at them. And so Jesus, in, in his compassion, in, in his, uh, we really see this willingness to enter into the suffering of another. We see Jesus' uh, deep, deep empathy as he looks at these people and has compassion on them. Why? Because they're sheep without a shepherd. We see two metaphors in this passage. And Jesus preaches and he teaches and he heals because he has compassion. And, and Matthew's wrapping up, he's wrapping up this, this description of Jesus' ministry and he's about to move into chapter 10 where he commissions the disciples, amen? So this is like a transition here. And Matthew summarizes this ministry and is about to move into a commissioning of the disciples. And he says that in, in, in verse 35, Jesus went through all the cities. He's teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of what? Of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And what we've been walking through in the book of Matthew, and Alex so eloquently described for us last week, is a comparison and a difference between Jesus' ministry and the Pharisees, right? Here's the Pharisees that were supposed to be the shepherds, and they weren't. They were, they were abusive. They, they thought it a value of being a Pharisee that they would distance themselves from the people, that they would not touch them, that they would not come into contact with them as to be defiled or contaminated. And what do we see the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus? We, we preached earlier, we spoke earlier about the calling of Matthew, right? And what did the Pharisees say about Jesus when Matthew was called? After he calls Matthew out of the tax collector booth, he has dinner with him. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's breaking bread with them. He's, he's spending time in the home of a tax collector, touching them. The woman with the issue of blood who would have been uh, someone that they would, the Pharisees would stay away from, would distance themselves from as to not be contaminated, she reaches out and she touches Jesus and is healed. He touches the sick. He eats with sinners. He interacts with those because he has compassion as he looks and he sees, here are these sheep that are without a shepherd. The Pharisees harass them. The Pharisees stay away from them. The Pharisees distance themselves from them. They need a shepherd to come, to guide, to feed, to shelter, to direct, to lead. And Jesus comes with compassion as he preaches and he teaches and he heals. And we see this comparison, this difference 
We see really the the purpose, the thrust behind the incarnation that we're about to celebrate at Christmas time. God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus has come. The Messiah is here in the flesh with the people, touching them, speaking to them, leading. The good shepherd has arrived. The bad shepherds contrasted with the good shepherd who's there. And he's doing what? He's having compassion. He's with them. He's teaching. He's giving of his life. And we just read about the good shepherd who would ultimately lay down his life for the sheep. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful reality and what a beautiful example. We see Christ's heart as he saw the sheep in his and his state of mind and his heart was that of compassion, and he moved to be preach, to preach to them, to teach them, and to heal them. There's two pictures here. We see the, the sheep that are without a shepherd, and then we see the second metaphor, which is that of the harvest. In the Old Testament, you would have, you know, the, the depictions of the harvest were generally that which was negative. I mean, you would, you would hear in the Old Testament that, that the harvest would be gathered in and the chaff would be burned. You see the harvest as being gathered into something that would depict judgment. And I think you see in the heart of the Pharisees as they look to the people, they consider them like chaff that need to be burned. And, and here we see Jesus speaking of the harvest in a completely different way. That as he looks upon the people and he has compassion on them, they're like the wheat that need to be gathered into the storehouse. The wheat that need to be gathered into the kingdom. And Jesus looks upon the people and he sees a bountiful harvest. Jesus looks on the people and he sees, yes, sheep without a shepherd who are harassed and in need of leadership, in need of teaching, in need of someone to come and to gather because they are a bountiful harvest that needs to be gathered into the kingdom of God. So that's the state of the people of Israel as, people see, as Jesus sees them at this time. They're a bountiful harvest that needs to be gathered. Without sufficient workers... To do so. If in the shepherd and the flock depiction, you see a desperation, right? There's a desperate need for a shepherd. If in the second metaphor of a harvest that's bountiful without enough workers to bring the harvest in, what do you see? You see a sense of urgency. Jesus has a sense of urgency here. Listen, we have sheep without a shepherd who need, who need me to be there, to be in contact, to have compassion upon them because they're being harassed. And we also see these sheep are a bountiful harvest that need to be brought into the storehouse, that need to be harvested into the kingdom of God. But we are at a lack of laborers. We are at a lack of workers. And so there is a sense of urgency to bring in the harvest, amen? What a beautiful picture Jesus gives as to why he's come, as to what's going on, as to the state of Israel at this moment. Jesus depicts these people as in need of a shepherd and also as a harvest that needs to be brought in. We see Matthew continuing to transition to a mission emphasis in his writing here and a commissioning of the disciples. 
I love this passage as, as I think about even now, as we as believers, those who have come to Christ and, and who have, uh, have been the recipient of God's work before the foundations of the world, regenerating our hearts that we could respond in faith as we heard someone communicate the gospel to us. How amazing is that, just to think about your own life, if you know Jesus here today? I think of a, of a, of a woman who sat on her front porch of an apartment building praying and worshiping. I never met her. I don't know her. I I don't know what she looks like. I've only heard her described. But a young couple struggling to get by. The father going to Oswego State on the GI Bill after getting out of Vietnam and trying to make his way through college so he could afford to take care of his wife. And a young woman who was in desperate need of hearing the gospel, lived in that apartment building. And this woman sat on the front porch and she prayed. She she prayed that the Lord of the harvest would bring increase. She was faithful to be a worker, to be a laborer, to be open, to be available. And when that young woman came and sat on the porch and asked her why she was praying and why she was singing... She shared the gospel with her, and she, in the Spirit of God, moved in that woman's heart, and she came to know Jesus. She came to faith, and she shared that faith with her husband, who was struggling with the effects of Vietnam, who was trying to work hard to support his family, who had no reference other than growing up in a a Catholic household that didn't really go to church for the gospel, and he came to faith in Jesus That was my parents who shared their faith with me and my brother who we've now shared our faith with our children. The Lord of the harvest brings the increase, amen? Laborers work and God moves. Laborers do their work and they're available and God moves. What an amazing reality. As Jesus prays or tells his disciples and he instructs them to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest field. So Matthew's making this transition. When you look at people, when you you as a believer see people, where's your heart? When I move through my life, where is my heart? As God has called me and saved me, as God's moved in my heart and, 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 and saved me and forgiven me for my sins and redeemed me and set me on a completely different path than anything I could have come up with with my own brain, what, what do I do as I walk through life and I see people? Am I moved with compassion? Do I see lostness? As Jesus looked upon the sheep, he saw that they were lost, that they were without a shepherd. He looked and and he had compassion on them as he watched them go throughout their lives and throughout their day, wandering aimlessly, lost and harassed and in need of a shepherd. He was moved with compassion and he preached and he healed and he taught. And I think this passage leads us to ask ourselves that question, to ask ourselves, what do you see? I tell you what's easy for us. It's easy for us as Christians, 
in the suburbs of Syracuse, New York, to go throughout our day, to think often about what we need, to think about our jobs, to think about our leisure, to think about our kids, to think about our entertainment, to think about their sports, not so much anymore. Right now, this is a, quite a unique time. To look around at our neighbors and think they're doing okay. They seem to have what they need. Their bellies are full. Their houses are nice. But do we see people, do we see our neighbors, and do we see lostness and have compassion? Do we see lostness and have a sense of desperation? Like these are sheep wandering around, uh, heading towards destruction in need of a shepherd. Do we see people around us as, as a bountiful harvest and have a sense of urgency because we need laborers to get, out, to get out there and begin to bring the harvest into the storehouse? Do we have the same sense of, of desperation and urgency that we see Jesus articulating and depicting in these two metaphors to his disciples? I think that's a good question. I think it's something we need, to, we need to reflect on. We need to pray about. God has called this, this church, this body, to be a church-planting church. Why? Because in 2006, we pulled out a map as God began to move in our hearts, and we drew a circle around a whole bunch of zip codes, and we said, we're not called just to plant a church because we want people to hear us preach, or we want to gather a crowd in a sanctuary so we feel good about ourselves. It was never the motivation. We drew a circle around zip codes to say, how can we take responsibility for this geography and reduce the lostness so that every man, woman, and child would have a repeated opportunity to hear the gospel and either receive or reject it. How do we do that? Well, we got to plant churches. we got to partner with churches that already exist. We're not the be-all and end-all, right? And that's why we pray for partner churches every week in this congregation that are in our circle because we need other churches nearby to continue to preach the gospel and to grow and to flourish and to be faithful. Amen? And we got to plant more churches. Why would a congregation in 2013 of 150 people take 40 of its best people, biggest tithers, and really almost the entire worship team and send them 20 minutes away into the suburbs? Not because they wanted to grow some big church that everybody heard them preach and they got online or whatever. Because we wanted to, to grow this way instead of this way. We wanted to see in our geography repeated opportunities for people to hear the gospel over and over and over again. For us to, to be the gospel as we live it amongst our neighbors. Amen? I love this uh, harvest imagery that Jesus depicts. And he says that... The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So what do we do? He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. I love that. Who are we praying to? Who are we praying to in regards to 
the, the desperation and the need of sheep to have a shepherd? Who are we praying to with the sense of urgency that there's an abundant harvest out there, but we need laborers to get out there and to gather the harvest, to communicate the word of God, to preach the word of God to those that God has called before the foundations of the world, to those that God is moving in their hearts and regenerating them, and as the word of God is preached, they, they respond in faith. How do we engage God in that activity that he allows us to be a part of it as we go and preach the gospel so that people can hear it and respond to it in faith and come to Christ? Who do we pray to to make that happen? The Lord of the harvest, amen? It's God who does it, amen? As I, I never forget, as I sat and looked out the window with this, with this huge question in the back of my mind, what am I doing? Could God really do this? I had no idea what God would do. I don't think Jordan or Jim or Mike or Bernie or any of us had any idea what God would do. I love 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul addresses this reality in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of, of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul... And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. Now watch this. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. Amen? I love what Paul's saying here. Hey, listen. Some of you listened to me, and I had some skills maybe. Apollos was maybe the most eloquent preacher in the early church. And he was an incredible communicator. Some of you listened to Apollos. At the end of the day, whether it was me or whether it was Apollos... It was really God, amen, who did what he did in your hearts and in your lives and planted this church. It was really God who gave the increase, amen? What do we recognize as we go out as laborers? Kind of what Stonewall Jackson used to say to his, uh, kind of weird to quote a Confederate general, but Stonewall Jackson used to say, duty is ours, this is what he said to his soldiers, the consequences are God's. And thank God that the consequences were that Stonewall Jackson lost, amen? <laughs> but you get the sentiment. The duty's ours, the consequences is God's. So Jesus is saying, listen, there's, there's a bountiful harvest. We need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. Why? Because it is the Lord of the harvest who really brings in the harvest. 
God uses laborers. Laborers are necessary. God engages us to get out there and to be faithful and to preach the gospel and to have compassion and to, and to get out there and into people's lives and enter into the suffering of others and teach and preach and, and bring healing hands and compassion to others as we depict, live, and communicate the gospel with our lives and with our words. And guess what happens when we do that? God moves in people's hearts and brings in the harvest. Amen? Isn't that good news? Psalm 127 says it this way. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of the anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Does it mean that the watchman shouldn't watch? Does it mean that the laborer shouldn't labor? Of course not. Send laborers. We need to labor. We need to watch. We need to engage. We need to do the work of God. And what we recognize in doing that is at the end of the day, it wasn't us. Amen? It was God who built the house. It was God who brings the increase. It was God who moves in people's hearts. I always think of the, my son Aiden when he was little and his little overalls, or you can just think of any, I don't even remember what we were painting, but you can think of any picture of a little boy who wants to come out and help, right? And he'd stumble out of the house in his overalls and say, I want to paint with you. And you're thinking, oh no, right? And he'd grab the paintbrush, and inevitably you know this, this just became three times as much work, right? <laughs> he grabbed the paintbrush and and you're painting, and he gets in there, and just it's all over him, and he's slapping the paint on the fence, and he's dipping the paintbrush in the rocks and in the grass and in the dirt, and he's throwing it on the fence, right? And then what are you doing? As the dad just behind him, painting it over and making it all right as he creates the mess in front of you. Boy, do I feel like somehow that's exactly what we're doing. We're laboring and we're working and we're going after it and God is really the one bringing the increase, amen? God is the one who builds the house. I am so grateful that God builds his house, amen? So what are we called to do in light of this? Respond to the gospel in our lives. Reflect on a couple of things this morning. The reality of the gospel in your life. And ask God to give you compassion. As you pray that God would send laborers to bring in the harvest, pray that God would move on your heart to be one as well. How would God use you to labor as he builds his house? Amen? And let's pray together that he would send laborers. The Lord of the harvest would send laborers. I can't stop thinking about that empty building in the village of Baldwinsville. 
I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And when I look out at each of your faces here this morning, or your eyes, sorry. Some of you have nice eyes. Some of you, this is, this is not a bad thing. I appreciate, I appreciate that I have to wear a mask. <laughs> My buddy who's not a believer that I work with was talking to me about, he's a single guy, he was talking to me about dating and seeing people in the grocery store and stuff, and he's like, you know, Jared, it's, it's kind of like a scratch-off ticket. <laughs> oh, it's a new kind of excitement, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was not in my notes. Uh, how amazing that each of you are sitting here today worshiping together. God's building his house. I got to be honest. I, we were a bunch of chuckleheads in 2006, 2007, and not too much better in 2013. But God builds his house. And when I see the, the faithfulness of God and the grace of God in your lives, I am so encouraged. When I hear your stories of, of how God's grace has moved in your hearts, I, I get to see living just as I interact with the people of God, as we do life together, as we worship together as the people of God, we get encouraged by each other, Amen. I get to see the reality of the grace of God in, in people's lives who struggle through different things and God upholds them and sustains them. The tragedy and the difficulty that people in this congregation have been through over the last several years as I have seen the grace of God move in the lives of you as you've walked through death and loss and difficulty and I see God move in your hearts and in your lives and sustain you, I get to see the reality of the grace of God in a way that I, I haven't even experienced in my own life and I'm encouraged and built up, amen? As we worship with each other, as we sing the word of God to each other on a Sunday morning, as we pray the word of God together, as we preach the word of God, we get to be encouraged by the reality of, of God's grace, the great shepherd who loves us and he's calling us to pray for laborers and to be laborers because the harvest is bountiful, because it's not just about us. If it was ever about us, we wouldn't be here now. It's about those who need to hear the gospel and respond, amen? How would God use us to labor in the field as we trust him to build his house and to give the increase, amen? Notice he says laborers. God's not calling for us to pray that those in need of entertainment would come to church to receive. He's saying we need to pray for fellow laborers. Labor is work. Amen? Labor, laborers are people who give, who sacrifice, who work, who lay their lives down in the fashion of the great shepherd who ultimately laid his life down for all of us, amen? And as we labor, 
And as we give and as we sacrifice, God builds his house and he brings the increase. It's good news, amen?